Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters weekly podcast, where we casually ramble on about important topics, including the markets, the economy, human ingenuity, and almost anything under the sun, giving you the keys to unlock the mysteries of the markets and investing. Today is Friday, April 14th, 2023. I'm your host, Brian Peterangelo. Welcome to the podcast and welcome back as we took a break last week due to multiple religious holidays. So we hope that you had quality time with friends and family. With me today, I'd like to introduce our panel of investing experts here to provide their insights on this week's market activity. They are a masterful group of individuals, just like the golf tournament last week. George Mateo, Chief Investment Officer, Steve Haight, Head of Equities, and Rajiv Sharma, Head of Fixed Income. As a reminder, a lot of great content is available on key.com slash wealth insights, including updates from our Wealth Institute on many different subjects, and especially our Key Questions article series addressing a relevant topic for investors each Wednesday. In addition, if you have any questions or need more information, please reach out to your financial advisor. As we take a look at this week's economic activity, we're also going to talk about last week's economic activity to be able to give you a holistic approach of what's going on in the economy. As such, the first week of April was dominated by employment information. Specifically, we'll start with the JOLTS report, Jobs Opening and Labor Turnover Survey report, which showed that the number of job openings in U.S. employers actually declined under 10 million to 9.9 million, which has been down from the prior few months as well as the prior six months, which is beginning to show signs that employers are reducing the number of job openings, possibly leading to a little bit easing in the overall jobs environment. Unemployment claims for the week ending April 1st were actually 228,000. And a program note, if you've been listening to us for many months or many weeks, we typically report on this. And it's important to know that the Department of Labor actually recalibrated the methodology starting with the week ending April 1st in terms of how they count initial unemployment claims. Not going to go into the details there, but simply know that if you've been following the numbers, it's at 228,000 initial claims for the week ending April 1st. And so that number did vary a little bit from numbers we've reported in the past. We'll continue to look at the trend line and to see if that indicates that we're seeing problems in the overall job environment with layoffs and initial unemployment claims. So stay tuned on that particular item. For the week ending April 8th, numbers actually came in at 239,000, which again showed about an increase of 11,000. So we'll watch that as we see the number tick up or tick down relative to what's happening with overall employers. The big news was the employment situation report as provided by the Bureau of Labor Statistics that came out on Friday, April 7th, which talked about the overall number of new non-farm payroll jobs at 236,000, which came in right at expectations for the month of March. So the good news there is we continue to see hiring, but it is slowing a little bit. So in tandem with some other data, we look at that in the overall employment situation. On the same day, the Bureau of Labor Statistics reported 3.5% overall unemployment rate for March, which again has been fairly consistent over the last five or six months, ranging from that 3.4 to 3.6 particular range. So we'll see if that number begins to tick up regarding the strength of the economy and the labor market as we go forward with future data. Turning to this week's data, the information was dominated by inflation reports, including the Consumer Price Index report that came out on Wednesday and the Producer Price Index report that came out on Thursday. In that particular read, we did see overall CPI drop from the month of March 
versus the month of February on a 12-month basis from 6% inflation down to 5% inflation. However, please note that part of that decline or decrease in overall inflation was relative to the energy sector and energy prices coming down. So if we strip out the volatile food and energy, as we often talk about, known as core inflation, the number actually went up on a 12-month basis from 5.5% in February to 5.6% in March. So we've got to watch this number overall in terms of whether inflation is actually subsiding to the speed that we want it to, or more notably, how will the Federal Open Market Committee and the Federal Reserve next month in May take this into consideration in terms of their policy. And last but not least, today we had earlier information came out on advanced retail sales as an indicator of consumer spending in the overall economy, and there was actually a decline of 1% from March versus February. So we're beginning to see some signs of, again, this vacillating nature of the consumer in the U.S. with spending habits as retail sales actually declined. So taking all this into consideration, George, we'll start with you. Lot to just really a lot to talk about, and so how do we condense it in terms of what this might mean for investors and what this might mean for the Fed? George, well, Brian, you're right. There's been a lot to cover in the past few weeks. I think the key takeaway for me is the fact that the um, the, the overall inflation backdrop is getting better, uh, and the economy is kind of hanging in there for now. On the inflation side, I think that's probably most uh, noteworthy in the sense that we've now seen inflation come down for nine consecutive months. Um, good progress there for sure. And uh, it's been pretty broad-based. I think it's still somewhat elevated in some of the um, areas that matter most to consumers, however. So home prices and shelter is a big component of CPI and the uh, inflation report. That actually ticked up a little bit from the past month. Um, also, food prices remain quite elevated. Energy prices have come down a little bit, which is good news. And I think that'll probably actually provide a bit more catalyst and maybe some dry powder for consumer spending. But overall, I think we're kind of closing out this, this period of time where inflation does seem to be coming down a little bit. Uh, it's it's still elevated and it's just not completely cooling, but it has cooled up quite a bit in the past few months or so. So I think that kind of sets up an interesting backdrop for the Federal Reserve to contemplate what they might do with interest rates. Frankly, I think the Fed is probably challenged um, by three things. First of which is price stability, which is inflation. And I just mentioned that's coming down a little bit. So that's probably a bit of good news. It's not coming down maybe as quickly as they'd like it to be, but they're not, it's not quite to their, their target level yet, but we're making progress there. So price stability is one thing that they're thinking about. The economic stability, you talked about jobs and the employment uh, situation. The economic stability seems to be stabilized for now, but I think there's probably some concerning uh, developments that we should probably talk about at some point. And then thirdly, I think the biggest driver for the Fed, uh, the biggest maybe uh, point of consideration that they have to think about when they meet next, uh, ne next month is the overall stability with the financial sector. And uh, it seems to be stabilized for now, but maybe Rajiv, I'll just kind of get your thoughts on maybe what the Fed is thinking about uh, taking rates in, in light of price stability, economic stability, and over financial system stability. What are your thoughts? Oh, you make a very good point there, George. And, and you know, there were some information, some data that did come out, which, uh, which is going to shape what the Fed is going to do. I mean, uh, we saw some hints of moderating inflation with the CPI report, uh, but it doesn't seem like that's enough for the Fed, as you mentioned. I think the Fed is still looking to see inflation come down faster, and uh, they haven't seen that yet. So the consensus remains that the Fed would raise 25 basis points uh, in this next meeting in May, and then perhaps pause after that. Uh, but uh, the consensus remains 25 basis points. We did see when that CPI uh, report came out that the two-year treasury note yield immediately fell, which kind of signals that maybe the market was thinking, okay, this is a good enough report. It's pretty much in line with the estimates. Maybe this keeps the Fed at bay and they pause, but uh, 
immediately uh, within a half hour, the, the two were back to unchanged for the day. So inflation and the sticky nature of inflation remains the uh, top priority for the Fed right now. Uh, we also saw the release of Fed minutes this week, which gave us a, a couple of other indicators as well. These were the March FOMC meeting minutes. And even though uh, Fed members uh, remain concerned about the banking turmoil that we saw, a strong labor market is again keeping the, the, the Fed on track to raise uh, rates by another 25 basis points and then maybe see a Fed pause at that point. But one of the uh, interesting things that I noted about the uh, Fed minutes was that some Fed members noted that uh, inflation is too high and there was recent strength in economic data and they were actually leaning towards a 50 basis point rate hike. And uh, if, you, if you remember what the market was doing around this time, right before the banking turmoil, we did see the market also start to anticipate that the Fed could do 50 basis points in that last March meeting. And if you remember, the March meeting was on March 21st and 22nd, and that's right around the time when these banking concerns became very pronounced. So if you look at the Fed minutes, the word banking sector appeared actually 23 times in those minutes. So you can tell that the Fed members, they were very closely monitoring what's happening with the banks, and that really did shape their decisions for that meeting. And, uh, you know, we see Fed members come out right now. We see maybe some of the banking stress had, has subsided a little bit. But we see some contradictory uh, uh, statements from Fed members. Uh, we did see, you know, Chris Waller, who's the Fed Reserve Governor, he came out and said that he favors more monetary policy tightening, uh, thinks inflation is persistently high, uh, but also will keep an eye on tighter credit conditions, which could also, you know, slow down the Fed or maybe make them pause. But you also had other uh, members like the San Francisco Fed President, Mary Daly, who came out and said that, uh, Fed actions might need to just stop at this point and maybe the economy itself would slow on its own. So there are some con uh, contradictory statements that are coming out, but I would say that the general notion is again, inflation is too high and uh, the Fed has to do something about it. All of this, the impact that this has had on the yield curve has been steepening in the front end. So we're seeing the front end of the yield curve start to move higher in anticipation of this uh, this next move by the Fed. Uh, but in this in this scenario, we continue to advocate for high quality liquid securities and remaining uh, neutral in duration. It's interesting, Rishi, that you pointed out that the, the term banking sector was, was referenced almost two dozen times. Those minutes were that long to begin with. So that's quite a, quite a, a statement. I think sure. it's interesting. I think in, in my view, the way I look at this is that the, the banking sector is healing, but it's not completely healed. Um, you know, we have seen some reduction of the overall use of these emergency credit facilities that were put in place around the time of some of these bank failures that you mentioned. You know, typically you start to see institutions that are in trouble, frankly, tap those emergency funding lines when they need that, that liquidity. Uh, and that thankfully has eased off quite a bit. Uh, we've also seen the overall balance sheet of the Federal Reserve shrink a little bit again, which I think is probably suggesting that the, the need for cash, if you will, is not as pronounced as it was. But deposits are still down. You know, deposits are down roughly 5% for some of the major banks. Um, that actually kind of suggests that maybe banking capacity to lend money also might be down sometimes. So I don't think we're out of the woods just yet. And I'm glad you brought that up. But but see, we'll probably kind of get a better read in the next, literally the next couple of days or so when a lot of these banks start reporting earnings. What's your what's your early take on the uh, the overall earnings reports that we've seen thus far? Well, earnings season, George, has just started to kick off this week, and banks have had a mixed picture, uh, as you might expect. Um, the the mega banks uh, are 
our reporting numbers that uh, I don't think shock people are pretty good is they've had uh, deposit inflows that have changed their cost structure and they're benefiting from that. Well, uh, it's still too early to tell with some of the, uh, the smaller banks, we won't get that, those numbers into the, uh, until we get deeper into earnings season. But I, I think that we've, we've seen at least the, a peak behind uh, the curtain and and we can see that uh, some of what we expected uh, to happen has happened you know it's been interesting to watch the earnings progression here for estimates as we head into the earnings season um, we had a very significant markdown in earnings uh, during the first quarter of this year it's flattened out now um, and now it'll be really key as we move through the actual reports to see, do we get uh, guidance and are we gonna see numbers push lower? Um, I think that the, the market um, thinks that numbers are gonna go lower. When you look at uh, volatility, volatility for the market has really been a, a, an interesting thing this week. Uh, we've seen volatility drop to the same level that drum roll please, we last saw when the market was at 4,800 on the S&P. So, you know, I think that we've we've gotten kind of an all clear from from volatility markets here and we've seen the the trend on the S&P uh, start to head back toward uh, the 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 idea that we could see yet another um, new kind of swing high establish uh, as we've had higher lows and higher lows and higher highs is an uptrend. So, you know, irrespective of all the the negative stuff that's been thrown at the market, all the bad, you know, banking sector news, now, earnings kind of coming in disappointing, um, at least anticipated to be disappointing. We've seen these, um, the, the market continue to be, as we've said, resilient. Now, I will say that they're, not everything is perfect. Um, I, I've started uh, to, to, to see some weakness on a relative basis in semiconductor stocks. I, I've said before that semiconductors tend to be a canary in the coal mine for the market. Um, and as you see, uh, semis have been really strong over the last few months. It's kind of provided a, a light at the end of the tunnel for the market, a guiding light. Um, and we've seen market follow semiconductors higher. And now when I see semiconductor relative performance starting to roll over, um, it does give me some cause for some concern. So I think it's going to be really important to see how the numbers come out over the next few weeks. Um, and more importantly, how investors react to the numbers. Yeah, you, you mentioned the fact that, uh, that that it's been a pretty resilient market overall. I mean, I, I still kind of a little bit surprised that the market's up, um, you know, high single digits this year. I think you've got the S&P 500 now up around eight, nine percent or so. Um, interestingly, the, the non-US markets are doing really quite well. European markets in particular are off to the races this year. It seems up almost 15 percent. So we've seen a pronounced outperformance in non-US markets, not across the board. There's been some underperformers there too. But I'm kind of curious, I think the one thing that stands out to me still with respect to kind of the capital market performance this year is the fact that the US dollar is down roughly two and a half percent. That's not a big big deal by itself, but it's, it's down roughly maybe 10% from its high uh, late last year. So we've seen some significant weakness in the dollar recently. I don't think that's like a really big cause for concern long-term. I don't think the dollar is gonna lose its, its stature on the world basis, but you know, at the margin, there are some things that we have to pay attention to when you start to see the dollar weaken a little bit. But to put those numbers in perspective, I think some people are looking at other parts of the, the world uh, and kind of taking over the, the prominence of the dollar, if you will. That's not gonna happen in the near term. Um, I think that's something that maybe gets a lot of headlines, but I often think that the dollar still is the probably reserve currency of choice 
But at the moment, we probably want to be thinking about maybe look at international markets again, given some of the weakness there. The other thing, Steve, kind of related to that is the fact that gold has actually had a pretty good year so far this year, too. You've been calling that out also. What are your thoughts on the precious metals? Yeah, it's really taken. I, I think it's it's a it's the flip side of the dollar, George. You know, we've seen gold move over two thousand dollars an ounce now. Uh, we're within two percent of an all time high, um, and yeah, I think if you take a look uh, at, at where gold could possibly go here, if we we get a breakout to a new all time high, um, I, I don't think that a, a move that could push us toward twenty four or twenty five hundred is all that far out of the question. Um, are people really positioned for that? The answer for that is no. If you take a look at ETF flows, other things, measures of investor sentiment, um, investors are not uh, really interested in precious metals right now whatsoever. They continue to focus on other things. Um, and, and you know that, in our view, provides potential opportunity for, for, for market participants. Um, we, we think that this rally has legs, to be honest. Yeah, so I think that's really a lot of things to pay attention to. I think the overall view of ours, though, is we want to maintain a neutral bias towards risk, meaning that we're not taking any big major bets uh, against asset classes and against their strategic allocation targets at this moment. You know, there are reasons to be um, a little bit concerned about maybe the outlook going forward, given some of the weakness in the real estate market and other things that we'll address probably in due course. But there's also, as Steve has mentioned, and Rajiv also, there's reason to be hopeful and somewhat optimistic about the resilient nature of what's going on. So. Overall, our, our neutral towards risk uh, stance seems to be appropriate for now. Uh, we also continue to like new tools. We've been talking about this for quite some time. Steve, gold perhaps is one of those new tools that people need to think about beyond traditional assets such as stocks and bonds. So we'll continue to talk about that. And as always, we'll continue to keep people apprised of our biggest thinking about what's happening in the world. Well, thanks for the robust conversation today, George, Steve, and Rajiv. We appreciate your insights. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe to the Key Wealth Matters podcast through your favorite podcast app. And as always, past performance is no guarantee of future results, and we know your financial situation is personal to you. So reach out to your relationship manager, portfolio strategist, or financial advisor for more information, and we'll catch up with you next week to see how the world and the markets have changed and provide those keys to help you achieve your financial success. The Key Wealth Matters podcast is produced by the Key Wealth Institute. The Key Wealth Institute is comprised of financial professionals representing key entities, including key private bank, key bank institutional advisors, key private client, and key investment services. Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice and are not intended as individual investment advice. This material is presented for informational purposes only and should not be construed as individual tax or financial advice. Bank and trust products are provided by Key Bank National Association, a member of FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. Key Private Bank and Key Bank Institutional Advisors are part of Key Bank. Investment products, brokerage, and investment advisory services are offered through Key Investment Services, LLC, or KISS, a member of FINRA, SIPC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Insurance products are offered through Key Corp Insurance Agency, USA Incorporated, or KIA. KISS and KIA are affiliated with Key Bank. Investments and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not bank guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, not insured by any federal or state government agency. eBank and its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult their personal tax advisor before making any tax-related investment decisions. This content is copyrighted by KeyCorp 2023.